Okay. Hello. Let's try that now. John Bon Jovi. <laughs> How's that? Is that better? Sounds a bit better, doesn't it? That's really good. So you sound really good, Bath. Thanks, mate. It's something about your voice. Thanks yeah. so much. It's really good. I think you. I think you guys sound great as yeah, well. Yeah, I think I sound. Yeah. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to another thrilling edition of The Little Film Podcast. My name's Adam, and with me tonight we've got Dave. Hello. And Ollie. Bonge. (laughs) (laughs) Presumably meant to end that with a sure. (laughs) Just the three of us tonight. No Patrick, no Tony. We started off on the first episode, we had five. Last time we were down to four. Tonight, just three. It's like the Big Brother house, this, isn't it? Just gradually being evicted. Very much weeding out the dead wood. Who's going to go next? I feel like eventually it's just going to come down to, like, Ollie on his own in the diary room, just rambling. I do that already, so <laughs> no, no different from usual. Well, actually, we do record here at Ollie's flat, so when we're not here, who knows what you get up to with this equipment? <laughs> just, like, eight-hour audio essay about... Gilmore Girls, Dutch whatever you've been watching. <laughs> so yes, down to just the three, the 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 main three, really, the the core three, the important three, exactly, the big three. The others, you might say, have been annihilated. Ooh, I like it. I, I like mean, they're that. not dead, but yeah, it's in, very good as regards this podcast. They might as well be. That's mm. a good gag. Early doors as well. I'd say. Thanks very much. Mm. Don't give him too much credit. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, obviously Tony has failed to watch the film yet again, despite this one being on Netflix and being on holiday. <laughs> if he does ever listen to this, this that will actually annoy him <laughs> that we've pointed that out. But there's no getting away from the fact that he has failed to watch the film, uh, and Patrick's just away. Uh, so, but you know, there's the three of us here. We're he has still... Patrick has watched it though. Yeah, he's he's given me his review, which I will do maybe in his voice, maybe. <laughs> Maybe in my own. We'll see. You did say that. I'm quite looking forward to your impression. You've brought a bag of crisps. That, yeah. That so you can... I could give you a taste of it now. Your impression of Patrick is just eating crisps it's... while talking. I'm Patrick O'Shea. <laughs> I mean, it's like he's here. It really is like oh, he's here. God. Um, well, Ollie, you, you said Patrick has at least watched it. Yes. What are we talking about when you say it? What film are we talking about tonight? Um, today we'll be talking about Annihilation. The new film by Alex Garland. And this is an interesting one because for people, if anyone is listening to this who haven't seen it, you've not really got much excuse to not watch it. Someone like Tony Kerr, for example, has no excuse to not watch it because it is, it's not even a cinema release. It came out straight to Netflix and we'll be talking about that later on, how, how that came about and what we, what we make of that. Um, but just before we get going, we should say, as always, that there's going to be big spoilers. So if you are listening to this, having not watched it, go off and watch it on Netflix before... You listen to the rest because we'll be getting into all the details of the film. Dave, I think you're going to give us a little synopsis that you've written uh, to tell us what the film's about. Although a nod to whatever copyright laws I might be breaking, I probably didn't write all of it myself. Uh, Not what you said before the recording. No, I just said I'd written it down. I didn't say that I hadn't copied it. Why are you Uh, sweating? I don't understand. understand. Uh, So Annihilation... As uh, Ollie says, is uh, Alex Garland's second uh, directorial film. He obviously, he has written a lot of films before. 
after his much acclaimed Ex Machina or Ex Machina? It's Ex Machina. Cool. I so I pronounced it right the first yeah, time. Yeah, did. Then went back on it. We learn so much on this podcast, mm. don't we? Yeah. Take that away with you. Ex Machina. The film stars Natalie Portman. I don't know why I've gone into that voice. As a biologist who signs up for a dangerous mission into a mysterious, perhaps alien, zone. Looking for answers as to why her missing husband, played by Oscar Isaacs, <laughs> has turned up out of the blue and fallen very ill after going on a very similar mission. Uh, she's joined by an all-female team featuring, among others, Tessa Thompson and Jennifer Jason Lee. I don't think I'll ever be able to read a film synopsis again without <laughs> that array of voices. <laughs> In your head. In my head. I don't know why I couldn't just do it in my normal voice. My favourite word in that was zone. Mm. Zone. Zone. That wasn't the Patrick impression, was it? No. No. The Patrick impression is a lot less flattering. (laughs) Well, it's it's close to that, but just eating crisps at the same time. Mm. Um, So thanks for that synopsis, Dave. That really uh, brought back some memories of what the film was about. Um, Ollie, I think you're going to give us the scores, give us a sense of what critics have been saying about it. You're going to give us the scores from various online review aggregators. Indeed. So I've got the scores from IMDb, Metacritic and Rotten Tomatoes. Um, So IMDb, uh, the film received a 7.1, Metacritic 79 and Rotten Tomatoes 88%. Mm, That's interesting. That's quite a bit higher, isn't it, than the Mm. other two? But what about our scores? Will the I could do my this is my strictly come dancing announcer impression. Will the judges please reveal their scores? Craig Revel Horwood. I mean, da- I mean Dave. You mean me? Yeah. <laughs> uh, seven out of ten for me. A seven from Dave. Ollie. Eight point five. Wow. This is going to shock you. Five. And uh, and Patrick, oh. uh, his phoned in review was a two out of ten. Wow. So. A, lot a range. There was a range. That's a real range there. So even more so than for Last Jedi. Shall I start with Patrick's review? Just because it's only a two-worder. Okay. Go yeah. on. Go on. Anal inhalation. <laughs> what? <laughs> That's it. What is that? That's mean? what he gave me. <laughs> Anal inhalation. Two-word review. Okay. Not really sure what to make of that. Presumably not on the posters. That one. <laughs> yeah. anal inhalation the little film podcast um he also gave me a review just before we got here he sent me some thoughts a string of messages uh but then he ended it with just a two-word review uh, which was shiny bs so he's not a fan i'm somewhere in the middle and you two well dave you you're kind of positive about it and only you really liked it so yeah real range there who who wants to to kick us off? Uh, well, yeah, I'm I'm quite happy to start. I thought that, generally speaking, it was it was a really good film. I thought it was it was tense uh, for a sci-fi. It kind of had everything I wanted up to a certain point. So for me, it was like a film of a film of four quarters, and the first three quarters I thought were brilliant and I really enjoyed, and then the final scene in the lighthouse really kind of let me down. I think I don't know how you feel about it, but um, I was trying to talk to sort of Mimi about it, who my fiance, who I was watching it with, and I think she was the same. She found it really scary and everything like that, and it got to the lighthouse scene, and she was like, "Ah, oh, what a load of nonsense!" It's a bit like 
Icarus, you know, soaring up into the skies and then just flies a little too close to the sun and uh, and brings the whole thing down on a bad beat for me. But the first three quarters of the film I thought were, were brilliant. So you think that in trying to do something really ambitious, they just didn't quite pull it off? Is that, was that your sense that it was, it was a really ambitious idea, the lighthouse scene, and it didn't work? Or did, it, did you just think it wasn't very good? Yeah, ambitious and convoluted. And it felt like where they could have tied together a lot of what were sort of seemingly complex ideas in quite a nice way. In, instead, it just sort of descended into a bit of a farce. But I think we talked about it when we did Star Wars, and it was Patrick saying, you know, is the film more good than bad? And most of the film is more good than bad. And, you know, it's really tense sort of sci-fi thriller, and I really enjoyed that. Uh, lots of, like, new ideas. But just that ending, there's just something about it which left me really uncomfortable. I'm going to be... Uh pretty controversial here but um i completely disagree i don't want to sound too cheesy too corny but genuinely the last 20 minutes of that film i thought was just utterly compelling and in recent memory in the last year one of my favorite like just set pieces in a film like the final 20 minutes in the lighthouse and the cavern under the ground i just thought it was superb like i was just sat there and like i i purposely We'll come to the distribution of the film later, but I purposely tried to set up my living room for watching this film as cinematic as possible. So the lights are off, I have my surround sound on full. Air conditioner just absolutely (laughs) blasting. Just revels rolling down the floor. Um, And I was just like spellbound by it. I really, really was. And like, for me, it all started when um, Lena comes face to face with the ET in the form where it's sort of, you know, sucking everything in. And she, you can remember she's stood there and her, she's the lights like beaming in her eyes and just like the music and this, the atmosphere and the tension, just all of it combined together was, I just thought it was absolutely superb. I'm a big fan of the band Moderat. Um, and that song that's playing uh, is a song by Moderat. It's called The Mark, and it's the introductory track on their second album. Uh, and I just absolutely loved it. And I loved the music, the soundtrack, the visuals, everything in that last 20 minutes, I thought was absolutely superb. And I really like the ambiguity of it as well. The fact that it wasn't spoon-fed to you what you've just watched. You like It leaves you to sort of hang and process what you've just seen and come up with a maybe a way of dissecting the narrative in your head as opposed to it just telling you, oh, this is what happened. Like, it really does leave you thinking. And I think that's one of the strongest sort of points of the film as well is that, interestingly, with this podcast, like, the four reviews are really quite different and it's therefore leading to a discussion about the film and and what it's about, which I think is really great and I don't think happens enough in modern-day cinema. I think that's a fair point that... Yeah, there's so many different interpretations and that in itself is quite interesting. So many different ways that people felt about the film. I don't know how much ambiguity I thought there was in terms of the story. There's a lot of ambiguity in terms of themes, for sure. Like, what's it about? What does it mean? You know, what does it all mean? But it's sort of almost an ambiguous ending in that, you know, they're the two characters left, Natalie Portman and Oscar Isaac, they're not sure whether they're the real people or not and that's sort of ambiguous but then you kind of see the flash of color and 
her eyes. And I, I felt like we were meant to assume that she is the alien and that the real human being was the one that died in the lighthouse. And that, to me, was a little bit more heavy-handed than perhaps it needed to be and that it was like, yes, it, she definitely is the alien, whereas I think it would have been more interesting if she had just been not sure herself and we are left to not know which one mm. she is. But then even that, I mean, that's sort of an interesting idea, but actually Carl Pilkington expressed that idea much more succinctly on a Ricky Gervais podcast like 10 years ago about, you know, how, how would I know which one I was if you ever encountered your doppelganger? And that's, that's sort of the end of the movie boiled down into a sentence. Yeah, I've got to say, like, I, the whole thing just left me a bit cold. I thought there were some great bits in it. I thought there were some really, really good scenes, really tense scenes. Actually, one near the beginning, the um, ambulance chase scene, I found really exciting. The scene when they're all tied up on the chairs and that kind of bear monster comes in and mm. you hear the screams of the, the, the other woman who died. That was really like unsettling and really well done. I thought visually it was really cool. Like there was some great use of colour. I feel like we'll say that about every film we talk about. Oh, it looked good because that's most films do look good these days, don't they? But I thought the colour was really good. Um, and that, I suppose, thematically tied in with like the colour of DNA and things like that. But like all those sort of pinks and purples and things, I thought it looked really cool or really unusual. But just as a whole piece, I, it just didn't really work for me. Yeah, I think I think it's it's fair to say that it looked really good and that that's not something that we'll necessarily say about every film because it was quite a sort of original visual take, I think, in the merging of everything and having everything's DNA intertwined gave them a lot, a lot of opportunities to do something different. Whereas if you watch a lot of sci-fi films, you know, it's how many times can you make a sort of spaceship uh, and sort of new planets seem interesting. It was interesting to see planet Earth but through a different interpretation, an almost like miniature alien world spreading on planet Earth and how that would work and interact. I really, I really enjoyed that. I think it's, it's more than... It's almost like you made out that it's like a film of a few moments mm -hmm. which bring it up to a sort of level five uh, enjoyable. I, I, did, I enjoyed the story through it. I enjoyed the ambiguity. I just felt at the end it got away from me. It fell apart at the end for you. Yeah. Yeah, a bit too, uh, not ambiguity necessarily, but overly complex, sort of like faux intellectual. Yeah, that's kind of how I felt about it, that kind of pseudo intellectual thing where so many people are saying, oh, it's so, it's, you know, so interesting. There's so, like, it's so, you really have to think about it and stuff. But I'm, not, maybe I'm just not getting it, but I'm not sure what it is actually trying to say. I'm not sure there's nearly as much depth as some people, and indeed the film itself seems to think. There was no depth to the characters, really. I don't, I couldn't care less about Natalie Portman's character, and she's the only one who, whose name I can remember or who you know anything about. But, like, you don't really have a sense of what her motivation is for going into the Shimmer. It's very tenuous why she does that. And beyond that, we don't know anything about her or are led to care. And that was a big problem for me, was that, Without that kind of, uh, uh, without that depth of the characters, the film just lacked a bit of heart, and it, in general, it suffered a bit from just not having much humor. Not that a film has to have humor, but there was no levity. Like it was all very, kind of relentlessly bleak and unsettling, and which is fine. But if you take something like 
Arrival, which a lot of people have compared it to. It's a different thing, like trying to do a different thing. Annihilation's much more on the horror end of the sci-fi spectrum. But Arrival, you, I just cared about Amy Adams's character so much more. She was a much more interesting character, and that gave the film something which Annihilation, I just kind of came out of it like, well, what was the point of that? That was one of the, I guess, one of the small weaknesses with the film, I thought, was that because there's five uh, women who go through the shimmer, isn't there? Mm-hmm. And maybe that because there was not a large, but a larger group of Lee characters, if you like, it meant that there was less time used to develop and ex- like go into the details of those characters. One thing that we do know is that all five of them are all damaged in some way. So like they, it's said that they're annihilated before they've even gone in. Their, their characters are damaged. That's and that, spelled out quite yeah, and that and that the quite clunkily the shimmer yeah. sort of amplifies that and then retracts that. But yeah, maybe just because there are so many, all the little details about why those characters are damaged or why they are like they are, kind of sort of maybe just brushed over a little bit. It was a particular character, uh, so Anya, who's the girl who gets her throat ripped out by the bear in the house so she's got a drug or she had a drug and sort of uh drink abuse problem but it's like all of the characters apart from portman's character it's just sort of like said in like a sentence or two it's not it's just in that bit where they're rowing along isn't it yeah yeah it's just very sort of like oh yeah, yeah i had a you know i had a drink problem and that's it uh and maybe i don't know maybe a bit more time on developing those characters you might have felt maybe a bit different yeah, exactly. Well, exactly. I think that's that's a failing of the film. Though I thought, yeah, that kind of exposition of what those characters were about and why they were damaged and why they were there it was just very clunky. Yeah, and I think they could have spent more time doing that. They used a narrative technique in the film, which I really have a sort of fundamental problem with, which is the sort of interview looking back on something that's happened, which is almost. Mm like a bit of a spoiler so at the beginning you know she says i know that these characters are dead because i saw that happen and you're like oh okay well i knew that's gonna happen but i'm not actually sure that those interviews really added anything to like the narrative journey you're right they could have just spent more time with the characters and particularly and i know there's a point that you want to talk about the fact that it ended up getting a netflix release so there was no real need for it to almost stick, I, I think it's what, just under two hours long, mm. like 119 minutes or something. You know, if they had known, and I'm not sure they did know that it was going to be on Netflix, I think they might have invested a bit more time with the characters in those early stages, you know, when they first get to the jungle or perhaps before they go on the mission. I think when I was watching it with Mimi, she said, why, why have all these people who I've just been told are scientists got machine guns all of a sudden and are basically now like in the army and marines action heroes yeah and i was like well well lena's character was in the army wasn't she yeah Yeah. but i think she i I said to her you know i was like we probably just didn't want to spend ages on you know have a montage of them getting ready to (laughs) yeah you know, well, okay. everyone loves a good montage, so I wouldn't necessarily be against that. But that could have added the humour that you would have liked. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, just like just like a forty-five second Top Gun theme. Yeah, yeah, montage of yeah, uh, that would be fun. 
Uh, just to clarify, you're saying that about Netflix because on Netflix, running times and things don't matter quite so much. Yeah, I think so. The way for a theatrical release. Yeah, the way people like consume content at mm. home, I wouldn't say Lord, make it into a TV show or anything like that. Mm. But I think if you're going to go watch a film at the cinema, the running time probably plays a, a bigger has a bigger impact on on whether or not you'd be willing to go watch a film like that. Well, that's. Baff's theory, isn't it? Anything over 90 minutes, you're not interested. Is that what you famously well, said? He falls asleep. <laughs> yeah, I did fall asleep during this. Um, <laughs> uh, well, that's not just at the cinema, though. Like, I just don't really like films being longer than 90 minutes. Anyway. Adam doesn't like films. <laughs> I can do two hours is fine, but anything if it's two and a half hours, I'm just like, oh, come on. It might, it might be a good time, actually, to discuss the, the distribution of the film, as we've just touched mm. on it. Um, but I was reading up about it, and apparently... What happened was that um, Alex Garland and his producers went to Paramount with the final cut of the film. I'm like, this is it. They did the test screenings of it and those went really quite badly, apparently. And Paramount then went back to them and said, look, it's too clever. It's too intelligent. It's trying to be too intelligent. I don't agree with that at all. Yeah. But yes, yeah. that's what so they said. It's trying to be too intelligent. So you basically need to dumb it down, cut it down, change the ending and then bring it back. Alex Garland said, no. He said, I'm sticking, this is my cut of the film. This is my vision. This is how I want it to be. And the producers actually stuck by the director and said, we're supporting Alex on this. This is the film we want to release. So at that point, that's when Paramount said, uh, well, it was, there was a lot of negativity going around about it and there was a lot of um, like arguments about it. And it, I think it was pretty close to like really having serious problems. Uh, and then basically Netflix came along and said, we'll handle the international di- distribution of it uh, in Europe and UK and whatnot. And then Paramount were responsible for the American release, which was, uh, and, sorry, and China. Uh, and then 17 days later, after that was released in American China, then Netflix then released it on their streaming platform. And I've said in the past that I can really see things changing how films are distributed like the ease of Netflix now I really think films are going to start to come out more and more on these streaming platforms as opposed to cinema and I thought watching um, Annihilation sitting down to watch it I was like this is absolutely great I can just watch it when I want from the comfort of my sofa fantastic so easy and obviously you pay for your subscription you get to watch the film so I thought that was all great but in hindsight I really wish I'd seen this in a cinema on a big screen with an amazing sound system because I remember watching, when I watched Ex Machina, I watched that in a cinema in London in Leicester Square and it was like just the sound in, in the cinema was incredible and the whole like cinematic experience really elevated my en- enjoyment of that film and I, I really wish that I'd had the opportunity to see Annihilation in a cinema as opposed to watching it on the sofa in front of my... TV, which for other Doing films, your Snapchatting at the same time, yeah, just checking in on Bebo. Yeah. Um, but no, like other films, maybe like happy to watch on Netflix. But in hindsight, like thinking about it, I think there are times and films that are good for cinema, and I really think this was one of those. Yeah, I think I disagree with you about the fact that I think it's good that films are being released on Netflix a lot more now. I think, unless it's the new Adam Sandler. <laughs> whatever he makes now uh i just think big films for cinema if this was supposed to be a big film which i think it was made as originally it would be better than if it had been in the cinema i think mudbound is another film which went straight to netflix 
and that would have been another great film to have been released in the cinema. And I think it would have got a lot, uh, it would have been noticed a lot more. I think a lot of people think if they put films on Netflix, they'll get a wider audience, but they're not being shown, I think, as film is intended. I think watching a film in a cinema is a very special experience. If you get excited about a film and then you watch it at home, it never has anywhere near the same amount of impact for me. But then on what I would say is on that point, for example, like Manchester by the Sea, do you need to go and watch that in the cinema? Well, I would have been livid had I gone and watched it at the cinema. Because uh, <laughs> you I, hated that. I, I really hated that film. But, but even like Moonlight like, or, I, you know... It, they're, they're, do you know what? I watched Moonlight at home and I probably would have enjoyed that film a lot more had I watched it in the cinema. Manchester by Sea, I wish I had no those hope. two hours back. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I think there are some films which or a lot of films that you you don't need to watch at the cinema in terms of like the experience. You only get the proper experience on the big screen. Like, like The Post, which we talked about a couple of episodes mm. ago. Do you have to watch that at the cinema? I, I don't know if that's true. But I'm with you, Dave, in the sense that if this is sort of the wave of the future and lots more films are just going to go straight to Netflix or Amazon or whatever, like that's that's not good news for me because it, I think it, it just cheapens it a bit. I mean, wh- whether it will change as it becomes more common, like at the moment, it still feels a bit like it's sort of straight to video. And you assume, which it sounds like is the case, that they did this because they weren't very confident in it. So, you know, at the moment, it feels like this is almost an admission of defeat going to Netflix. But if it becomes the norm, then maybe we'll change our minds about that. But I think that would be a sad thing if that's the case, because it's just much better watching it at the cinema. Even something like The Post, which you don't have to have the big screen experience it's as i say i think it's it's it cheapens it if it doesn't have a cinema release and i do feel like i probably add or subtract maybe even a whole mark from my out of 10 score based on whether i saw the film at the cinema or not i mean it's i think i'd have enjoyed it's impossible to know but i do think i'd have enjoyed annihilation more if i'd seen it at the cinema Mm -hmm. it just it's just a better experience isn't it you're much more immersed in it no i i completely agree with you and like as i was saying like i kind of backtracked on my initial thoughts on, oh, this is great watching a premiere on Netflix. Yeah, it's humiliating, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but then what I would say is, like, for us being in Guernsey, like, you know, as great as the Mallard is, unfortunately, it doesn't stand up to, like, a proper, like, massive multiplex cinema like you get in the UK. So you don't get those, like, those amazing screens, the amazing loud sound. You don't get all that. If I was living in the UK, I think I would definitely still go to the cinema to watch these films because you get you pay for that experience which unfortunately you don't necessarily always get over here but i think the problem is if you start releasing these films on netflix and through those even if they're you know in the cinema and on netflix and people have the choice people won't pay to go to cinemas and it will Mm. destroy Mm. cinema essentially which i you know I think it's had a bit of a revival recently, but it wasn't that long ago that people were talking about the sort of the death of cinema. We've got to be careful to hang on to that. Something interesting you said earlier about the fact that Paramount thought that if he changed the ending, uh, it would have been a better film. Although he was right to stick by his guns, I would have liked to have seen that film mm. because that's probably the one that I wanted to see. Yeah, because that's your major complaint. That's the major complaint, yeah. The ending. I th- it'll be interesting to see what happens you know, after this, because, you know, it'd be interesting to see how successful Annihilation is for Netflix. Because when we found out that it was going to be on Netflix and not have a cinema release, 
I sort of felt, well, that is going to bury it and it's not going to have that kind of cultural impact that, you know, a film like that would generally have when it's released in the cinema. But I don't know whether actually the opposite might be true and it's sort of become more talked about because of this than if it had just been another sci-fi film that kind of got lost after a few weeks at the cinema. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting you say that because I've not actually spoken to anyone other than you guys now about the film. No one that I know is is talking about it at all. And it's probably not so much the fact that it's, you know, available on Netflix, but there's no marketing around it. So any major film release, you know, you can't go anywhere without seeing a trailer for it somewhere or a billboard for it somewhere, you know, even a poster in a magazine. You just haven't had that with this film at all. It's just come out, it's there, the reviews have gone out. And if people watch it, great. And if they don't, you know, obviously Netflix is pushing it, but, you know, Netflix was pushing Mute a couple of weeks before, and that was an awful film. So I don't think people will necessarily watch Annihilation because Netflix are like, oh, you should watch this, because they'll say, well, I watched Mute before that, and before that I watched The Cloverfield Paradox. So you've been telling me to watch bad film after bad film, and they're both sci-fi, so by the time it gets around to Annihilation, I think people are like, it's all right, I've cottoned on to this one. Next week, the Adam Sandler project. Yeah. <laughs> but I but I knew before going in that this was like a new film by Alex Garland. And that, you did. Yeah, yes. no, but as as a someone who enjoys cinema and film, and I'm sure a lot of people knew before going in that it was by Alex mm. Garland. That's one of the yeah. main reasons that I wanted to see it. Yeah. Was it because it's a new film by Alex Garland? So whether it was on Netflix or the cinema or not, I definitely wanted to watch it. But I I do agree that Netflix do have a strange strategy when it comes to marketing new material like it's always a case of oh in two weeks time there's this new film coming out they don't like shout about it's the new film by alex garland you know it's natalie portman it's just oh it's another netflix exclusive Uh, i also don't know what's going on with my netflix uh, algorithm because i get like emails when there's a new series of like the unbreakable kimmy schmidt or whatever and i've never watched that but for some but reason, have you? <laughs> but I am like the perfect audience for a film like Annihilation, and I got no email marketing about that. No, I didn't either. Yeah, I, I, my uh, it's actually true. It just every time I open Netflix, the big suggestion is Queer Eye, <laughs> <laughs> which uh, yeah, I'm not sure. Definitely not. So, never watched that. I'm just, um, just to quickly ask then, so we have uh, we're talking about Alex Garland. Do you think this is a better film than Ex Machina? Because I thought Ex Machina was one of the the best films that I saw that, I think it was 2015, 2016. One of the best films I saw that year. Like, unbelievable. Yeah, no. You don't think this is better? No, it wasn't as good. What's your Ex Machina score out of 10? Nine. Okay, so it's a half a mark. But it was... I thought Ex Machina was great, so I'd, that's I'd, why I was really disappointed, I'd actually, seen by it once, And I'd really like to watch it again. But I, as I said to you, I just remember being completely bowled over by it just because of the like cinematic experience like it was it was hard to describe it was just so loud and like intense and it just you really came out feeling like you'd just been through the ringer like it was so impressive having said about annihilation that like one of the problems for me is there's no levity like there's no humor nothing kind of uh, soft about it that's also true in ex machina it's similar in tone isn't it and it both films kind of try to make you uncomfortable and do make you uncomfortable throughout and um, i just wonder if he got a little bit carried away with the success of ex machina and thought he'd just try and do that 
same thing again because it for whatever reason it just didn't quite hit that mark for me in it. I, here it is only three characters in ex machina mm, well that's probably a part of it I, yeah. I don't think you can use that as an excuse though because if you watch predator there is a whole <laughs> platoon of marines or whatever they are special forces that go into that south american jungle and i am in there with every single one of those characters and, and they all get killed off just as quick so I, you know, I don't think that's an excuse. The amount of characters in the film, I do think Ex Machina had a more culturally significant plot. Mm. So I think it's sort of impending sci-fi uh, felt very real. Like you know, I'm not saying it could be happening somewhere, but you know, it's not a million miles off. It's you know something that you could see in an episode of Black Mirror and go, mm. yeah. I, you know, I'm, I'm on board with that. Where is this? It's AI, isn't it? That's, yeah. yeah. Where is this is extraterrestrial mm-hmm. um, and how that can manipulate uh, the world. And then they were trying to get quite dense, yeah, with all these different themes of feelings, which I probably didn't pick up on in the same way that you did. Well, this what? was going to be my question. So when you said about the studio doing those um, screen tests or whatever, and what did, what do they call that? Focus test screening. Yeah, test screening. And it came back that people thought it was too intelligent and too clever. This is a very hard question to answer, but what what about it do you think is intelligent? Um, like what I think the is it I, the I think themes the, in it? Or what's... See, I I thought it was very, really original. Mm-hmm. Personally, I thought the the idea of this extraterrestrial dome, if you like, the shimmer refracting people's DNA, and then creating these sort of out of this world creatures i thought was very original and not something that i'd i guess come across before so in that way i could maybe look at it go is clever intelligent to come up with something like that david well yeah but i'm not gonna argue for you because about this whole clever bit because i think that's kind of where i felt it got let down at the end i thought you know as a tense sci-fi thriller you know I'm not going to say predator with women, but you, you, <laughs> you know what I mean. He's coined it. Um, when it, it when it sort of felt like alien, but on planet Earth, and there was scary stuff happening, and people were getting killed by bears or being tricked by a bear that sounds like a woman, and uh, the DNA was manipulating the environment into these sort of beautiful um, and interesting uh, environment. I thought that was all brilliant. You know, the bit in that base where they find the the sort of footage of Oscar Isaac's um, team being in the same place and, and, and them all getting really scared about that. They're all getting really paranoid about what's going on between their group. I thought all of that was was really interesting. I liked the idea of refracting DNA. I just thought that as soon as Natalie... And, and I could understand Natalie Portman's sort of character drive, which I know... Adam wasn't so convinced by, but I just found that once she got down into that hole, just everything kind of fell apart. You know, when she's just sort of shooting that thing and she's seen the video of Oscar Isaac and then there's this sort of weird, almost like a dance, like a sort of choreographed dance where they're replicating one another in the room and and everything caught fire. Um, At that point, I was just like, I... It's just got really silly. It's a bit silly, yeah. It's like it it thinks it's clever, but it's actually just silly. Patrick said this to me in his lengthy review on his on the Facebook message. He said, you know, it's it's a classic case of Emperor's New Clothes. I do feel there's a lot of truth in that. Like I, 
I think it thinks it's being clever, but I'm not really sure what it's actually... If you sort of pinned down Alex Garland and said, what are you actually trying to say here? I'm not sure he'd be able to... I think it's not his story, give is you it? An answer. It's based on a novel, I know, but he, obviously he's taken it on and his vision. I don't know what he's actually trying to say. Like, there, there's... I think there's some really interesting themes and like the the shimmer as a metaphor for cancer. I saw someone talking about that in terms of it, you know, the mutations and stuff. And obviously one of the characters of Ventress, I think it has yeah. cancer. But beyond that, I'm but, not really sure. What but that's it- what I think so good about the film is that there's all these different interpretations of it. As I said, I don't think there's enough of that in Hollywood where too often you're spoon fed the film and the story and the narrative and the ideas. Whereas this someone was suggested this someone else suggested that i've seen other theories online i think it's really interesting that it creates a conversation about what is it actually about i think that's fine but you can have all those conversations without having that ending necessarily (laughs) because that's all still completely relevant i just felt like it was a i was watching a different film at the end when it hit when it hit that bit I was like, oh, I'm not sure about this. And yeah, as I say, Mimi, who, who I was watching it with, was just like, she gave me the face. It was sort of like, Where, where's this gone? <laughs> one, one thing I did want to bring up was, uh, I want to get your views on this. I, what I thought was really effective in the film. There were like, so there's three like particularly chilling slash shocking moments. There's obviously the bear attack. There's the found footage of, uh, in the, in the empty swimming pool where they cut open the guy's chest and they've got all the tentacles like going through his body. That was really horrible. Uh, and also at the end where Oscar Isaac's character commits suicide with the grenade. Like all those were like really quite chilling moments I thought. And I particularly thought that the use of found footage for two of the, of those three scenes created the even more sense of sort of, well, made me feel a lot more uncomfortable and, I just found it more chilling. That it just felt a bit more real. I don't know. You know, with found footage, it's obviously been overdone in the past. Whereas with in this film, I kind of felt that it did really add something to the the cinematic experience. I mean, it's no Blair Witch Project, but that moment where they cut open his stomach mm. is pretty horrific, actually. I got quite a funny message from a colleague I work with. Uh, a colleague I, you work with? Uh, I suggested to her that she'd watched it. Because it was like sci-fi, Natalie Portman, Netflix exclusive, righty, righty, right. I didn't mention that it was horror. She's not great with horror. Uh, anyway, on 10.30 on a Friday night, I just got a message from her saying, you're such a dick. <laughs> Completely can't. unrelated to the film. <laughs> yeah. <thing>. I cannot. <laughs> P.S. I'm going to watch Annihilation tomorrow. <laughs> uh, and uh, yeah, she basically couldn't sleep and had nightmares. She found it very very scary mm. i didn't find it scary i found it chilling and uncomfortable but i wouldn't oh, a tough guy it, it no but it just didn't <laughs> sort of branch into the like horror genre for me there was elements of horror but i didn't feel like it was a sci-fi horror it felt more just sci-fi for me i think that's what i wanted there i wanted more sci-fi horror those were the bits that i really liked Hence my sort of referencing more a- species, alien <laughs> species. Yeah, I, I I actually enjoyed species when it first came I out. Yeah, bet you did. David. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Hot tub. <laughs> I was quite glad that it didn't go too far down that horror route. Like a a film that I think really suffers from that is one that Alex Garland wrote or co-wrote, Sunshine, which I think is a really good sci-fi movie. And then the last twenty minutes is a horror slasher. I'd agree. That's 
that is a good example of a film where I felt it dive bombed. It was absolutely fantastic up until the point where it turned into, you know, psycho in space. Mm. Up until that point, it was superb, and then it just. I was going to say, actually, I love Sunshine, but you're right. It does take a slight nosedive in that section. Well, there's a big tonal shift. Like, whether you like it or dislike it, yeah. it does suddenly turn into a different film at the end, doesn't it? Yeah, there's actually quite a, that's quite a good description, like a good comparison mm. with this film. Thanks very much. Yeah. Um, we're kind of coming towards the end here, but I just did want to ask what you made of the performances, and particularly Natalie Portman's performance. Like she's, I know that there's other famous people in it, but she's very much the the star isn't she the big the big name in the film what did you make of I, th- her I thought she was really really good I I felt like the whole film she just portrayed this sense of like tension and being uncomfortable and uneasy and like as as you said like there's no comic relief in this film like is you I may you maybe see her smile once like in some of the flashbacks with um Oscar Isaac's character is it Kane is that his name yeah Kane yeah. um uh but apart from that yeah she i thought she did it well yeah yeah i thought she she was she was fine it wasn't her it wasn't like a standout performance like i won't remember it Mm. for years to come but i think for the character that she was playing um yeah it was bang on i thought jennifer jason lee uh as what you call her ventress i think that's dr ventress dr ventress um suffering from cancer i thought she was uh a really interesting character. I thought that was a, a great performance. But again... She's so cold the entire film. Like, she's no... Emotion. Emotion at all. Yeah, I, I really like that, though, for the mm. character she was trying to play and very driven to what they were doing, like, willing to leave people behind. Um, but again, I yeah, I can't even remember what happens to her character at the end. I think she just walks off, doesn't no, she? No, she meets her in the cavern, doesn't she? Yeah, she's in the lighthouse. Oh, yeah, she end, is yeah. in the lighthouse, yeah. And she the just bit starts that I didn't screaming like. and blows, in, blows up into light uh, and stuff. Oh, yeah, that's it, yeah. That's she where you started. Shot her uh, in the head and suddenly it yeah. turned into a disco. Um, what are Portman's big films? I'm trying Black to think. Swan. Black Phantom Swan. Phantom Menace. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Star Wars episode one, The Phantom uh, Menace. Probably the her best, big... Leon. Yeah. <laughs> she was about 12. Fantastic film, though. Yeah. What else is she in? Garden State? I'm trying to remember what else she's done. Black Swan, I guess, yeah, is the bit, is her... Probably her most famous role. But then that's a good, like, what, six, seven years ago now? Because she is a massive star, but I'm just trying to think what she actually been in recently. Phantom Menace. Thor The Dark World, 2013. She's in Thor as well, the original. Yeah. That's a Uh, minor role, though. Black Swan. That's a girlfriend role. Yeah. Back in 2008, The Other Berlin Girl. No. Uh, (laughs) No, what? No, you don't like it? No, No, you haven't seen seen it. it? Okay. V for Vendetta. Oh, oh yeah. yeah, closer, <laughs> and the Star Wars movies. She's been in loads, mate. Zoolander. So, yeah, <laughs> I don't I remember really good in uh, closer and um, closer. Yeah, closer. Yeah, yeah. That's a great film. To be fair, I thought she had actually been in more films than that. Well, she. I mean, I didn't name all the movies. She's oh been in, right, but, I thought you named literally every film. But uh, th- those were the only ones that I'd heard those of. Those are the standouts. That's highlights. Those. The, okay. Yes. Yeah. Star Wars episode. You don't one. need to read them out again. Star Wars episode two: Attack of the Clones. Star Wars Episode 3, Revenge of the Sith. That's where I remember her from. Shite. (laughs) Before Annihilation, her previous one was Song to Song, where she played a character called Rhonda. So this is a good podcast now, isn't it? I'm just (laughs) naming Natalie Portman. Should we go back through the uh, Jennifer Jason Lee back catalogue as well? (laughs) Well, shall um, shall we round up then as a summary? I'd like to hear a bit more about Patrick's review. 
Do we want to hear more about Patrick's review? Just a little, I think, some choice words. Okay, I'll give you some choice bits from mine that he sent me. I mean, if I read mine, it's going to be another 45 minutes at least, so probably we should just stick yeah. to those. He sent me a lot, but I'm going to have... Oh, he said, the bear screaming, help me, was very good, which is why that got um, two out of ten <laughs> as opposed to zero. <laughs> uh, he said, it's like Lake Placid crossed with Battlefield Earth but with none of the humour in each. I don't remember laughing at all during Battlefield Earth. <laughs> I don't remember watching uh, it at all. What is he doing watching that film? He and I watched it when we were both very young. Oh, dear. It was a real mistake. Yeah. Um, he said, It's not 1% difficult to make a movie that people won't understand. No one understands this movie fully, I think, but that's not an achievement. In this instance, it's an example of just faff and bluster and shimmery bullshit with no interest and no answers. Ouch. <laughs> but I quite liked it, and Ollie really liked it, and um, Adam thought it was so-so. That's kind of in the middle. I feel like I've, you know, I've kind of given it like an average score, but then just said negative things about it. Like there were there were really tense bits, bits that I was really like into, particularly at the beginning. I agree with you, the, the end didn't do it for me at all, but actually leading up to that, I was kind of losing interest or lo yeah losing my uh investment in the film because i know i keep going on about it but the the fact that there was no lightness to it that like if if you contrast it even with something like the shape of water which we talked about last time which i know is a completely different movie doing a completely different thing but it is like a very serious film isn't it and there's violence and there's very dark things that happen but it has this kind of not necessarily humor but it has this kind of softness to it or lightness of touch at times which Annihilation really didn't. It was all very melodramatic and, and grim-faced. No I think. joy in it. I yeah, that's, joyless. That's yeah, Garland's yeah. style, though, isn't it? If you look back at his films that he's... Well, he's only directed two, but the other ones he's written, he wrote 20 Days Later. Uh, he wrote The Beach, the actual book. I he wrote the novel, yeah. yeah. Um, and Sunshine, Dread. like, arguably... Yeah, and Dread. Arguably, all those pieces of work that he's done are all quite serious, and mm -hmm. there's no not a lot of comic relief in those... So it does, it does come down to the execution, doesn't it? Because yeah. as I say, I, I really liked Ex Machina and that's mm. very similar in style, but this one just didn't really work for me. Um, well, what are we talking about next month? It should be noted that we were going to talk about Isle of Dogs this month as well, the new Wes Anderson film, but we've had to put that on ice because... Uh, it's the, just not come to Guernsey. <laughs> well, <laughs> is, it, I don't, is it out now? I think if it's out on... Well, when people are listening out to this, this week, maybe, it will be maybe out. Maybe it is coming out. We'll but have to wait and see. Not at the Mallard. It's not listed. Um, so what are we doing next time? Uh, we're going to be talking about Ready Player One, the new Steven Spielberg action spectacular uh, based on the Ernest Cline novel, Ready Player One, which I have read. I'm not sure if anyone else here has. No. I have read it, actually, yeah. yeah. I, saw, I saw a snippet of the trailer and I've... I'm trying to not it's watch trailers. It's the same trailers. as reading no, no, the no. book, I'm is I'm trying not to watch trailers anymore. Uh, the snippet I saw, I it looked very good, so I'm excited about it. Ollie, you've got a massive pile of books here. That you, like Basically, every time I see you, you've bought a new book. How many of them have you ever read? How many haven't I read? That's the That would be the easier question to answer. It's about uh, 15 there, so I would hazard a guess of 15. <laughs> I've read Watchmen. That's the graphic novel. Yeah, graphic it's a big, it's lots of, words yeah so there's words in it yeah um i'd like to I'd, i'm very keen to point out that i read that novel before it was announced it was going to be made into a movie you know i read it before it was cool ready player one yeah as did i 
<laughs> so are you just, fa- are you just as of- cool as Bayfield. Yeah. Are you a fan of the book? I really like the book, yeah. It's one of my favourite books of, of all time, wow. I think. Yeah, I cool. absolutely love it. So, and I absolutely love Steven Spielberg. Yeah. So I'm really nervous about this film. What film has Steven the Spielberg done? What's some of his... <laughs> his <The> post? <laughs> Munich. Let's not get into it. Jurassic Park. Ah, uh, there it is. I was waiting for it. Yes, so that's next time. We've got we've got the next few months lined up, haven't yeah. we? Because we've got there's the Guernsey movie, Guernsey Literary and Potato Peel Pie Society. We're gonna have to talk about that, obviously, as we are from Guernsey, live in Guernsey. The new Star Wars movie's gonna be out oh, quite soon. Solo. Isn't it? Yeah, Jurassic various, World uh, Jurassic two. World Two. Yeah, the Avengers one, that'll be out. Infinity War. So lots of movies, isn't there? Lots of movies coming out in the future, and hopefully we'll have the other two guys back for some of those episodes as well. Or maybe not. I mean, this has been arguably much better. So. Well, it couldn't have been easier for Tony to watch the film that we discussed today. So <laughs> Just twisting the knife. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, we'll we'll see whether he gets around to Ready Player One. But yeah, hopefully hopefully we'll have them back next time. Uh, but that's about it, I think. Have we said everything we want to say? Yep, I think so. It's been brilliant. It's absolutely. It's yeah. been absolutely brilliant. Yeah. Really um, enjoyed that. I'm just gonna end it with uh Personation of Portuguese. <laughs> Cheer. You love your kettle chips, don't you? Yeah. <laughs> Bye, guys. Cheers, guys. Ciao. You got um sorry <laughs> Stop talking to myself if someone ate different oh, right. crisp samples could you mm. tell which one is which what what crisp is which yeah like someone would go yeah, frazzled. yeah. <clears throat> like a what's it is different to a pringle yeah. isn't it and a monster munch i think would be quite <laughs> distinctive yeah uh okay so has everyone got Chock a, a block. phone or something they can time on yeah so I think that would be good. And then we're all aware yeah. of the rambling. I don't think it'll be too bad this time because we've got no Asia. That's <laughs> <laughs> yeah. the main thing. That's definitely going to go in the outtakes at the end. Yeah.